So, uh, we are in a series called A Beautiful Alternative. A Beautiful Alternative. And um, we're going to dive straight in. Last week we looked at what it means to be a beautiful alternative, compelled by love to offer the world something different. I feel like the world is in dire need of a church that loves. And uh, that's what we looked at last week. And this week we are going to look at something special. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul teaching us as individuals how it is that you and I can be a beautiful alternative. How do we actually go about doing that? How do we see that transformation in our life? How, by show of hands, how many of us enjoy change? Okay, some, yeah. I thought it would be about 50-50, because you have two groups of people. You have some people that really enjoy uh, that feeling of change, almost in an unhealthy sense, because they don't want to anything to stay the same for long enough, because they feel like they're in a rut, and they will want to change everything really quickly. And then there's some people who are almost allergic to change, that feel like, I really don't like change. And I think I sit somewhere in 100% of both of those camps, right? Maybe we all do, I don't know. But there's times when I'm like, yes, change, development, future, all this stuff. And then there's times where I've found myself saying, why are they doing that like that now? Why have they changed it? I think I was eating a Cadbury's cream egg this year, and I said, they've changed the recipe. I don't know if they've changed the recipe, but I know they've changed the recipe, right? You know when you try something, you just know they've changed it. They've, they're getting smaller every year as well, right? Amen. Yeah, everyone's like, yes. They're getting smaller every year, which is strange. Everything's getting smaller and more expensive. That seems to be the trajectory of the world at the moment. But if you were to look at change in your life, there are three key ingredients or three key characteristics of change. In terms of like large-scale change in our life, you could probably say of, of like micro change, but ultimately three key ingredients to every change. And these are these three things. There are the means of that change. In other words, what you have to do. There's the process of that change, so how it is you have to go about doing it and what happens. And then there is the result, so the thing that you are left with at the end of the change. So the means, the process, and the result. The means, the process, and the result. The problem is when it comes to change, especially in today's society where it seems like we're really obsessed with self-help and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not all of us in our church, but especially in, the, in society, in the circles that I've been in outside of this room, it's like everyone is so consumed with change and growing and maybe it's growing their bank account, career, reputation, whatever it might be, so consumed with this idea of success or trying to push forward that actually if one of these things is out of whack, if one of these things is slightly off, if one of these ingredients is just not right, then you won't get the change that you ultimately want to have in your life. Let's look at this. Let's look at a, a good example of this in a, in a non-spiritual sense so you get the idea. Say if you had a goal in your life that I would like to change my life to become healthier. Hey, that's a goal that many of us might have. I would like to change my life to become healthier. So what are the means to do this? The means would be diet, exercise, sleep. Yeah, we always forget sleep. I know I forget sleep. Diet, exercise, sleep, drinking water. Those are the means. So if you want to live a healthier life, here are, the, here are the things, here are the tools, here are some of the things that you need to do. You need to drink water, you need to get enough sleep, you need to 
You know, eat the right foods. You need to exercise regularly. You get the idea. Those are the means to cause that change in our lives. The process then would be consistency, discipline, commitment. So this process, if we do these things and we commit to them, we are disciplined to say no to the wrong foods, to say no to staying up a little later or whatever it might be. If we do these things over and over again, then the result is that we establish these healthy habits in our life, which ultimately achieve our change, which is to live a healthier life. So we can see how this works, the means, the process, and the result. If we want to see change in our life, we go through these three things. But like I said, if, something, if one of those things isn't so right, then the reality is we aren't going to see that change in our life. So let's look at a bad example of this. Say your goal is to change your life, to become more, uh, to live a healthier life. So when the means are off, so there's no intentional diet, there's no discipline when it comes to sleep, there's no, you're not drinking enough water, your exercise is very irregular, you're not going to have the, the tools, you're not going to have the things, the means to be able to see that change happen in your life. You might be consistent with them, and what you end up with is, oh, I'm not really where I thought I would be. Or maybe it's not the means that are off, maybe it's the process that is off. If you're doing all the right things, but you're just not consistent with it. You're not so disciplined with it. You're not really consistently doing them uh, when you should be doing them. Again, you might be doing all the right things, but the process is off. And you stand at the end, and the result is not really what I expected it to be. See, when you and I set about these sort of normal things that we will set in our life, these changes that we want to see in our life, if we want to see a certain change, then we need to expect a certain result. Okay, we need to know what it is we want to see so that this change happens in our life. The same is true when it comes to our faith. The same is true, and we're going to look at the Apostle Paul use these very same things, the means, the process, and the result. The very same thing is true for our soul, is true for our life. And the Bible will walk us through this process, say, you, are, you have been set apart to be a beautiful alternative to the way that the world works. You are here to show the world a different way. Here is how you go about that change. But again, if one of those things is off, we can find ourselves being like, well, I think I'm doing the right things, or I feel like I'm, and we can find ourselves being really far away from where we expected to be. Maybe it's, we've got our means a little bit off. Maybe the process isn't quite right, or maybe the result that we've been shooting for that we think will cause this change you know, maybe some of us think that to live a religious life is to offer the world a beautiful alternative. And you stand there and you go like, no one seems to be really impacted by the life that I'm living. I'm going to church every week. I'm saying the right things. I'm like kind of doing the right things, but it just doesn't seem to be anything in it. When one of these elements is off, one of these ingredients is slightly out, we don't see that change that's required in our life. So let's look at this. Paul uses these same three characteristics. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And this is Paul laying out these three things, these three ingredients. So let's read it together. I'm reading from the ESV. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Romans roughly, we think, between AD 55 and AD 57. So sometimes, sometime after he wrote Galatians and sometimes after, sometime after he visited a lot of the churches that he started. Now, Paul didn't start the church in Rome. So that's important for us to know. He didn't start this church. And if you look at the way Paul writes in the New Testament, you would often see that he would write to fix problems. So he sees that in the church or hears that in a church that there's something going wrong. Like the book of Galatians, it's Paul addressing a problem. Okay, he's addressing freedom in the church. There's an issue of freedom. The Jews were putting restrictions on Gentiles. Paul's writing to the church of Galatia to fix it. He didn't start the church of Rome. Okay, so he doesn't know a whole load about it. So the book of Romans is a really, really important book because he is simply writing a letter to the church of Rome, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. So those who would have known the Torah and have known the laws of God and those who completely didn't, writing into this mixed context in the empire's capital. So this is a really, really important place. Power everywhere. Like Christians persecuted paganism all over the place. So it's a very, very high-pressure environment. The, the, the center point of the empire of Rome, Paul speaking into this church simply to do one thing, to summarize the Christian faith. Okay, he's simply writing to them, say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So he touches on salvation. He touches on what Jesus did on the cross. He touches on all, it's like a book of theology, really. A book of doctrine to the church to remind them, hey, I'm coming to visit. I need you to give me some stuff so I can head on to, to the next place. And just so we're clear, this is what it means to be a church of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. So you think, well, why is this important in a beautiful alternative? Well, it's important because it lays the foundation. When we read these words, we can now understand that Paul was saying, just so we're clear, this is how this works. So when we get to read this, we can understand, okay, there's something foundational about what Paul's saying here. There's something foundational about the words that he's using and the way that he's putting this across. He's talking to them about how do we become transformed by Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, when you follow him, how is it that things change? Okay, he's putting across and this is the foundations of Christian change as an individual. So we are going to look at this. Uh, Paul talks about this life change and how God completely shifts us to be more like Jesus, to be more the people that he's made us to be, to be more at home in who he's made us to be, at home within his church. Ultimately, Paul is saying this is how you become a beautiful alternative to the world. So we're going to look at those three areas, the means, the process, and the result. The means, the process, and the result. So let's kick off at the very beginning here. This is Paul outlining the means of change when it comes to our souls, our lives. So he says this in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, before we outline these means that Paul gives us, he ultimately says this from the very outset. In some translations, it says, in view of God's mercy. Or in the ESV, it says, um, by God's mercy, by the mercy of God. In other words, God has made a way for you 
to experience change. What's that way? That is the person of Jesus dying on a cross to take on our sin, rising again three days later to give us hope and a future and power over death. That's what he means. In view of that, in view of the source of all change, in view of the, the all-powerful, in view of that mercy which ultimately sets us free, he's kind of saying, this is now possible. Change is now possible because of what Jesus did. And here it is, he outlines it for us. He says, this is what I need you to do. This is the beginning of change, the tools for change. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what he's talking about here, Paul is saying to the church, he's using the word body. So ultimately what they would understand this to mean is you're coming and you're going the way that you live, the life that you have, the things that you do, the person that you are summed up in that sense. Present the totality of who you are to Jesus. Give all of who you are to God as a sacrifice. Okay, that's, this is the beginning of the means of change. You're sat here this morning like, yeah, I think there's something deep down in me that knows I need to change. Okay, I know that I have a proclivity to sin. I know that my life ultimately leads to sabotage. I need to change. Ultimately, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. The beginning of that. Okay, how we go about that change is to offer ourselves to God. Give of ourselves. Like I said, Paul's language here is the total of who you are to God. Your actions, your thoughts, your coming and your going, your daily lives, your morality, the way that you live, offer it to God. And then he says something interesting. He says, this is your spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship. Now, you and I, we come to church and we know that when we sing, that is worship. Paul isn't specifically talking about song worship. He's not saying that go about your life like you're in a musical. You have to sing worship all the time. I actually really don't like those musicals that have no words, just sung. I, I can't take it. That's not what God's telling us to do. Thank goodness. He's saying of your whole lives, give of it to God and that will be your spiritual worship. Let's look at the Greek word that he's saying. So he's, there's this word. It says latriaia. Okay. Come here for my Greek pronunciation. I know you do. <laughs> this word, latriaia, simply means this. It means any act or anything done in ministry for God. Okay, that's, the, that's the translation of this word. Anything that is done, any act that is done in ministry for God or to God. So ultimately, Paul is saying this. The way that you live your life. You're coming and you're going, your thoughts, you're living. If you do it in a way which is for God, in alignment to God, that pleases God, that is worship in itself. The way you live your life is the very beginning of worship, not just the stuff that we sing. That is an overflow of it. That's why we call this song worship. So he says, offer it, and that will be your offer your lives, and that will be your true worship. So here's the thing for us today. How do we take this in 2022? It's nearly 2023. Can you believe it? How do we take this in 2023? 2022. <laughs> the thing is, every single one of us is familiar with this idea of giving ourselves to something or someone. Just might not be to God. Okay, We all have given ourselves to something or someone. That something, it might be the pleasures 
of life. That something might be that desire that you have within you. You might give of your life to your career or to money or to, like I said, pleasures of ourselves like sex or substance. Or you might have given your life or given over yourself to build reputation or things that don't sound bad. You might have given your life over to simply just fun or given your life over to just something that really doesn't have what it is that we need. But every single one of us is familiar with the idea of giving our lives for something. So for Paul, when he says, give yourself as a sacrifice to God, this isn't something that we're like, oh, how do we do that? We know how we do this because we do it every single day. How many of us live for the acquiring of material things or live to hear that one person that said that you would never amount to anything? You just imagine what it is they would say if they saw you now. We live for this, like, oh, I will, I'll avenge that thing that was said. We all give ourselves to things. Much of life is about recognizing that and doing something about it. And that's where this starts today. See, this concept is not foreign to us. We give our bodies over all the time. But what's the promise at the other end? So this is something I love, right? When we talk about what God asks us to do here, let's, let's look at this for a second. Let's take career or sex, or substance, or something like that, okay? Or even just fun. This is what the, the promise is on the end of that. Let's say this is what the, the, the change or the result is on the end of those things. is If you do this, then you will feel, well, whatever. Let's pick fun. If you go and have loads of fun, then you will feel fulfilled. It's almost as though it says, if you act, then this thing will deliver, right? But what does God say? Okay, what's this whole passage about? It says in view of God's mercy. See, the way of Jesus is not you act first and then if you come through, I'll deliver. Okay, the gospel of Jesus is God already delivered. And now we get to act from that place. Okay, the promise that comes on the back of these things is if you do these things, then just maybe. See, but with Jesus, he's saying, I have already done all of this for you. Now you get to live your life in the light of that. God has acted first. God has already delivered on his promise. God has already come through. God has always been faithful. And it's from that place that we can live. See, the means of this transformation is simply this, that God is saying, give yourself over to me. Everything, your total self, Give it over to me. You want to change in your life? If you want to have that inner transformation, give yourself to Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit later about what that looks like. So what's the process then? So if Paul said, these are the means, this is what you need to do. Like, let's parallel that to like I said at the beginning with exercise. It's like, oh, you, you want this transformation physically in your life? Okay, here are the means. Gym, exercise, you know, water, sleep, all that stuff. So for the same thing in this, it's, Give of yourself as worship to God. Give yourself over. That's the action that God has caused. Now, what is the process that we go on once we have done that? Let's look at it in verse, uh, the first part of verse 2 says this. And this is the process. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
Do not be conformed to the ways of this world, to the way that this world moves, but be transformed in your mind. Your mind will be renewed. So what does he mean here ultimately? The renewal of your mind simply is a complete change from the inside out. So when we give of ourselves in worship to God, what happens is the process begins to unfold that there is a complete change from the inside out. The word Paul would use is metamorphosis. In other words, a complete shifting from inside that then affects outside. So it comes from within. See, this is why, in our, again, in our society, and I'm saying this so that you can be aware of this worldview, our society teaches that more often than not, especially if you pull in some of the like Buddhist Eastern stuff that's infiltrated some of our culture, we will see that more often than not, fulfillment is external that moves within. Okay, so if you get these things, have these things, do these things, know that person, have this amount of money, blah, 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 all these external external things, if you have those, then ultimately some miraculous thing will happen on the inside of you. You will almost feel just at peace, which we know not to be the case. Whereas again, what is the way of Jesus? Something shifts on the inside that then flows out starts on the inside, at the depth of a person, at the depth of you and I, our soul is shifted. And then that grows and flows out of us that impacts the way that we walk and talk and live and love and act. Happens from the inside out. Paul is saying that as we offer our lives in worship to God, the Holy Spirit, which when we say yes to Jesus, Jesus said in John that he will send the Holy Spirit, that every single one of us who has said yes to Jesus has the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit living within us. It is the Holy Spirit that begins to do the shaping from the inside out. That metamorphosis that Paul said, that inside out change is the Holy Spirit changing us to be who he has created us to be. When it says the renewal of your mind, okay, we can be like, oh, God changes your mind. Now, again, in Bible times, mind didn't just mean your thoughts. A biblical definition of the word mind is this, the control center of one's attitudes, thoughts, feelings, and actions. The control center, the thing thing that makes the decisions, the thing that responds to the desires, the thing that sets the course for our lives, the things that moves us through our everyday, the control center, the CPU, the computer of our lives is the mind. That's what Paul is saying. The renewal of this course a renewal of the way of looking at the world, a renewal of our desires, a renewal of who it is we know ourselves to be. So when he's saying the renewal of your mind, this isn't just simply a change of opinion. This is a complete reset. You ever reset your phone and you go and it's like, hey, everything's new again. Okay, when we say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to shape us, what happens is it is like a complete factory reset within our soul that begins to shift us and move us and shape us. So it's a complete change of course. A guy called John A. Whitmer wrote this. He said, as the mind keeps on being made new by the spiritual input of God's word, prayer, and Christian fellowship, his, his lifestyle keeps on being transformed. 
So in other words, as we are shaped from the inside, it is our lifestyle that begins to change. You asked me this morning, how can I change my life? Well, firstly, you can't change anything. You can change a few things you've got control of, but you cannot change that eternal destiny on your own. You cannot make it on your own. Only Jesus can do that. But good news, folks, it says he has made a way for us. So when we give of ourselves over, when we allow that shaping to happen, it begins to change our entire lives. So again, what does this mean for you and I? Well, we know that the world, and we use the term the world, as in the way that is in opposition to God. I don't mean the earth in that sense, but the culture of the world is in opposition to God's way. Sometimes very directly, most of the time indirectly. The way of the world is against the way of God. So the world has a way. Let's define what that means. Let's define the world for a second. So John Mark Comer says this, the world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into a mainstream and institutionalized in a culture that is corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. Okay, to summarize this, he's simply saying this, the way of the world is when sin as in that which is not God, begins to manifest itself in values, ideas, culture, in a flow. And we can see this, can't we? It doesn't take a genius to look at the way of the world and go, that's not the way that Jesus teaches us in his word. That's not really the way that the Bible outlines that. So we have an opportunity to address this and be like, okay, we exist in that world. And how easy it is for us to get caught up in that flow. Why does Paul say, don't conform yourself to that way. Don't conform yourself to those values and those ideas and that system of thinking and, you know, that rebellion against God and the, the, the changing of what is good and what is evil. Don't get caught up in that stuff. There's a different way available to you. Because again, what did we say? If one of the ingredients of change is off, what happens? You don't see the change. So we might have all the means But actually in the process, we've gotten caught up in some of the ways of the world, in our thinking, in our value systems. And we're sitting there being like, why is it that I'm not not changed? Why is it that I just can't seem to live out this Christian life? It's, well, maybe one of the ingredients is off. Maybe one of the characteristics is off in your life. Maybe you've got caught up in the way of the world, in the process of the world. I nearly started singing there. John Mark Homer says this. I really like John, John Mark Comer when he speaks on culture. He says, It is by spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus and set free to live in line with all that is good, all that is beautiful, and all that is true. So spiritual disciplines that help us to do this include silence, solitude, prayer, fasting, confession of sin, meditation on scripture, and Christian community. These things, you could call them means, these spiritual disciplines are part of those means, how it is that we give of our life. We give of our life through prayer, through worship, through meditating on scripture, through confessing sin to those close to us, through silence. We don't like that one in this day and age. I struggled with silence for a long time. Silence, God speaks to you in those times. Solitude, being on your own. 
these things allow the Holy Spirit. It's like we're setting aside time for God to work on us. See, that's what those spiritual disciplines are. They're not things just to please God. God isn't some like cosmic head teacher sat with his clipboard. Have they done what I've told them to do today? That's not the way it is. He's saying, I want you to spend time in silence so you can actually shut up enough to hear me speak. I want you to spend some time meditating on scripture because there's some ways of the world that have infiltrated your soul and I need to get them out. These spiritual disciplines are the means in which God can begin to unfold this process of change in our life, to unfold this work of transformation in our life. See, see I said, if you, if you want to see your life become healthier in terms of going to the gym and all that stuff, what did we say? Discipline, commitment, consistency, just the same as spiritual disciplines. There are days, I woke up yesterday, I was like, it's a Saturday. Now, I don't need to read my Bible this morning. God will understand, I'll pick it up on Monday. And in that moment, I felt, I knew what I was preaching on. And I was like, I am going to read this, even if it's so I can say I read it. But what happened in that half an hour was, I began to get really inspired. I was so glad I read it in the end. It's the same. I remember going to, I played the trumpet as a kid. I know my cool estimations, I've just gone up in the leaderboards then. Played the trumpet for a long time, and I remember going to these jazz bands on a Saturday morning, Saturday, for seven hours. I had to go for seven hours, right? A whole Saturday. And uh, I hated every second of the week that I thought about going. Okay? Every second, I have to go to band on Saturday. The second I arrived there, it was the best day ever. I mean, it's often the same when we read the Bible. It's often the same with these spiritual disciplines. You can dread them because you've got to give half an hour, 40 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, to these things. But I promise you, when you get in the presence of God, you are refreshed, you are filled up, and you will walk out of that, that session, that time, feeling completely different. So I want to encourage you, be consistent. Commit to those things. These spiritual disciplines, let's call them the means. These are the means of giving our lives to Jesus. If they're done consistently, they become the process in which the Holy Spirit uses to shape us and ultimately change our life. Much of our life is this living out of that process, allowing the inner shaping to affect all of us. So I want to maybe just put a few thoughts to you before I close. Have you been swept up in some of the ways of the world, some of those ways of thinking that have maybe put in a stop to that transformational work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? I know in my life when I've looked, I've been like, ah, that way of thinking I thought was healthy, but actually was really unhealthy. Hunting, you can, you can join me up here. Or this morning, maybe you don't need to look at that stuff but maybe you just want to get real and say, do I actually want to change? Do I want the trajectory of my soul to be completely shifted through the work of the Holy Spirit? Do I want to be who God's made me to be? Just some questions for you to think over. And then finally, I'll be quick, the result. The result is this, the last part of verse 2. It says, by the testing, uh, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says that once we are renewed in that trajectory, renewed from that deepest part of ourselves, shaped from the inside out, then we are able to prove or discern or understand God's good and perfect and acceptable will. In other words, we are able to understand God's will for the world and God's will for us. That is the result of this shaping. That if we give ourselves over in worship, in the 
spiritual discipline, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work that process out in us, the result is that we get to see the way God sees, see his will for the world, see his will for our neighbors, see his will for our lives. A guy called Douglas J. Moo wrote this. He said, this transformation allows us to recognize and put into practice God's will for every situation that we face. Listen to this. God has not given to Christians a set of detailed commandments to guide us. Instead, he has given us his spirit who is working to change our hearts and minds from within. And listen to this. This is the power. So that our obedience to God might be natural and spontaneous. What's he saying here? That when we are shaped by God and when we are in constant walk with God and communion with God, our lives become this obedience to God, this holy life begins to be natural and spontaneous to us. That we don't need to think about following God in that same way, that it actually flows out of that relationship that we have with Him. That inner transformation ultimately manifests in our life, that truth and goodness and beauty begin to flow out of our natural walk with God. That's real transformation. When it begins to be natural and spontaneous, when you start going to the gym and doing all those things that we've said, what was the result? You establish healthy habits and values in your life that perpetuate that change that you want to see. It's exactly the same as spiritual discipline and transformation. When you are shaped from the inside out, it perpetuates this transformation in your life that allows it to flow out of who you are. See, when we are living in this place where we can see God's will and faithful to God's will, we finally understand that His will is perfect for our world. That to do God's will is the best thing we can do for us as individuals. To serve Him, we find who we are. So, to to close this up, I want to say this. The world needs a church that offers a beautiful alternative. Your world needs you to offer them a beautiful alternative. Your neighbors need you to offer them a beautiful alternative than the way it is that they are living their lives right now. And the only way that we can show difference is to be different. The only way that we have something to offer is if we ourselves have been first transformed by the Holy Spirit. Once we are transformed, then from that place we offer the